Verses 10 through 14. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 14. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is, it not, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again, and the Lord will fight for you, and you will have only to be silent." It's good for us to spend time thinking about what God did when he saved us. It's good for us to go back in our minds and to reflect on the gift that God has given us in Christ Jesus. To think about the fact that God, even though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, in excuse me, Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three, even though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, God has made us alive together again with Jesus Christ. He has redeemed us. He has saved us. And what I want us to do with our study tonight is, is to look at an Old Testament example of salvation and to reflect for a few moments on what God has done for those he has saved. If you don't already have your Bibles open to Exodus 14, go ahead and open it this time. Exodus chapter 14, the lessons coming from this passage. It's the account of the Red Sea crossing. When the Israelites were leaving Egypt, they came up to a point where they were stuck between the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh behind them. And in Exodus chapter 14, I'm going to begin reading in verse 5, and I'll read again part of the passage that Drew just read, but it's important for us to get in our minds what was going on on this particular occasion. Exodus 14, beginning in verse 5. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So Pharaoh made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea, by Pihahirath, before Baal Zephon. Verse 10, and when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see again no more forever." 
The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. The Lord said to Moses, verse 15, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. As you read this passage, you'll notice the deliverance that the Israelites were receiving came from God. And it would be hard for us to overstate the importance of what we're reading here. It would be hard for us to over-exaggerate how much of an emphasis Exodus 14 has on the rest of the Bible. Just to give you a, a sense of example, just to kind of give you some of the depth here. When we look at the Red Sea crossing, there are at least 24 Old Testament references to this event. Just in the Old Testament, there are 24 references. As you read through the Psalms, as you read through other passages in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, you'll read 24 references directly to the Red Sea crossing. But then when you come into the New Testament, there are all these references as well. For example, in Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, after the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph go down into Egypt to flee from Herod. And the Bible says in Matthew that it was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. And that's a reference to Hosea chapter 11, which itself is a reference to the crossing of the Red Sea. So God is bringing his son up out of Egypt, just as he brought those Israelites out of Egypt in Exodus 14. In another place, in Hebrews chapter, or excuse me, in Luke chapter 9, verses 30 and 31, at the transfiguration of Jesus, in that account, the Bible says that Moses and Elijah appeared on the mountain with Jesus, and they were having a conversation with him. And in those verses, in, in Luke 9, 30 and 31, it says that Moses and Elijah were talking about his departure. And if you understand the Greek language there, it's the word exodus. So they were talking about how Jesus was going to leave. He was going to cross over. Then in Hebrews chapters three and four, there's a comparison between Christ and Moses. Jesus is the better Moses, the one who leads us into the land of promise, the land of rest. In Hebrews 11 verse 29, there is a verse that talks about how the Israelites by faith crossed through the Red Sea and the Egyptians perished because they didn't have faith. And there in Hebrews 11, verse 29, again, the crossing of the Red Sea is given. It's held up as a prototype of the kind of faith that Christians are to have. The idea that they left, they fled the, the, old, the old ways and went through the Red Sea. And then you've got 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 6 in your New Testament where the Bible says in a very fascinating passage that the Israelites were baptized with Moses, baptized into Moses as they crossed through the Red Sea. And the Bible talks about how they were fed from a spiritual rock, the rock that followed them, that was Christ. And then in Hebrews 10, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 6, the Bible says these things were written for our learning, for our understanding. I bring these passages to your attention because when you look at Exodus 14, you see what's happening in this particular passage, the rest of the Bible uses this example, this account as a picture of salvation, as a picture of deliverance. And I want us to do this with our study tonight. I want us to think about what God has done for us when he delivered us. If you were an Israelite, having crossed through the Red Sea, wandering in the wilderness, <clears throat> if you were an Israelite, just think about what an Israelite might have said. If you asked that Israelite, what happened to you? You're here in the desert, you're here in the wilderness, and how did you get here? 
An Israelite might have said something like this. I was a slave. I was a slave in a foreign land. I had no hope. I had no chance, no choice of freedom. But God heard my cries, he heard my pleas, and God intervened on my behalf. And that Israelite would say, I took refuge in the blood of the lamb. I put the lamb's blood on my doorpost, and I was delivered. And I began to follow the one that God had sent, the mediator, Moses, and I followed him out through the Red Sea. I was delivered. And God took us to the mountain and he gave us his law. He created a community that, that believes in him and that is faithful to him. And I'm part of that community. And God dwells in our midst. We have the tabernacle, the place where God dwells among us. And God is guiding us even now to the promised land. We're not there yet, but we're going there. An Israelite would say something like that. And that's very, very close to what an Christian would say today, isn't it? The idea of these people being redeemed is one that ought to stand out in our minds as well in Exodus 14. Tonight's lesson is going to deal with three things. Number one, we're going to talk about what did the Israelites leave? What did they get out of? And secondly, we're going to talk about how they got out. How was it that as you read Exodus 14 that they left? And then third, we're going to ask the question, why did they get out? As we think about salvation and what God has done for us, these three questions are pertinent. And so let's ask first of all, what do we get out of when we become Christians? What do the Israelites get out of? In the first place, I want you to look at Exodus chapter 14, verses 11 and 12 again. These people were being delivered from bondage. They were being delivered from bondage. Bondage means slavery. Bondage means captivity. Bondage means that you are enslaved by someone to do their will, not your own. And it's interesting what happens to the Israelites. In Exodus 14, verses 11 and 12, as they come out of bondage, they're not delivered yet. They haven't crossed the Red Sea yet. But in verses 11 and 12, they cry out to the Lord and they cry out to Moses and they say, why have you brought us out here? This is a disaster. It would have been better for us to stay in Egypt with our masters. It would have been better for us to stay in slavery. That wasn't really what they said, though. When you go back to Exodus chapter four and you look at verses 29 through 31, the Bible indicates that as Moses came and he demonstrated the signs that God had given him, that the people bowed down and they worshiped. And they said, Moses, you're God's man. We're going to follow you. They didn't say, no, no, leave us alone. Leave us with our Egyptian masters. That's not what they said to Moses. But just like people today, the Israelites developed kind of a selective memory. They remembered a lot of the good that they had when they were in bondage. They remembered a lot of the good things that, and, and sometimes they made up the good things about being in bondage and they forgot about the pain and the difficulty and the lack of freedom that they, that they had. And so as they're in bondage, they think about what it was like with those former masters. When you think about salvation, I find that it's interesting that the Bible describes the Christian as being delivered from bondage. 
The Bible describes us as being slaves of sin. Jesus called people who were sinners slaves of that which they are practicing in John chapter eight. We're slaves of sin according to Romans chapter six, verse 22, and we are delivered from that slavery. And it's helpful, I think, sometimes for us to think about this in a practical way. It might be helpful for you to think about being delivered from bondage in two ways. There is an objective legal deliverance and then there is a subjective deliverance that has to do with the way I live my life. Let me explain. When you become a Christian, when the Israelites passed through the Red Sea, there was an objective deliverance that took place. They passed from slavery. As long as they were on one side of the, de- of the Red Sea, Pharaoh and, his, Pharaoh and his armies could have captured them, could have re-enslaved them. As long as they were on that side. But they passed through the Red Sea and when they were passed through, they became delivered. The Red Sea closed up over the Egyptian captors and they saw them never again. And so there is an objective deliverance. The Israelites are delivered from slavery. When you become a Christian, the Bible says that God justifies you. That is, he makes us righteous. Romans chapter five, verse one. The Bible describes our salvation as being past tense, present tense, and future tense. And it's interesting to study those kinds of passages. They're on the screen there behind me. You have been saved, past tense. That's objective salvation. You've been saved by the grace of God. You're righteous in God's sight. But there's also a way of thinking of bondage. The habits that we had, the things that we remember about our previous life, the sins that tempted us, when we were not Christians, those same habits and those same temptations very often, very frequently plague us, even though we are Christians. And so there is a sense in which the Bible talks about our salvation as, yes, it's happened. Yes, you've been saved. But it's also true that as we live the Christian life and as we follow Jesus Christ, we are being saved. God continually develops our character. He helps us to grow and helps us to fight temptation. And there is a sense in which we need to think about being delivered from bondage as not just being justified, but also as being sanctified. The word sanctification has to do with becoming holy. And as we live the Christian life, being delivered from bondage means that there is a way in which as we follow God, he makes us increasingly holy, more like Christ as we talked about this morning. And so salvation is talked about in the past tense, but it's also talked about for Christians in the present tense. You think about those Israelites, they longed for their idols and they rebuilt a lot of their idols, didn't they? Even on the other side of the Red Sea and they continually struggled with temptation on the other side of the Red Sea. Even though they'd been delivered from bondage, The memories of Egypt lingered with those people for a long time. And so it is with people who become Christians. There is an ongoing struggle in the Christian life. I wanna be free from sin. I wanna be free from its effects. I wanna be free from temptation. There's an ongoing struggle that's gonna last the rest of our lives because we're not there yet. And then the Bible speaks about our bondage as a future tense, being delivered. You will be saved. You have been saved, you are being saved, you will be saved, you will be freed. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, this is what we call glorification. When the Lord returns, not only is he going to save us, he's going to save us from this present wicked world. 
In heaven, you don't have to turn on the news and see all the wickedness and the sin that's been happening all around you all day. In heaven, you are freed from all of that. And so those Israelites, as they crossed through the Red Sea, they got out of bondage. And yet at the same time, there was still a journey to be taken with their God. And so it is with us as Christians. God saves us, and yet there's still a walk that has to happen with him. Notice this secondly, as you look at Exodus chapter 14, notice how we get out. How do we get out of bondage? And the answer that the Bible gives is simply this. God provides and we obediently submit. By his grace, God provides salvation. Now listen to what Moses says in Exodus 14, beginning in verse 13. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Stand still, watch God work is what Moses said. And then all the Israelites had to do is walk with their own two feet through the Red Sea. God provided a way and the Israelites, their obligation was to accept what God had done for them. It's on the screen there behind me. Saving faith, brothers and sisters, is simply this. It is trust in God with obedience to God's word. That's what saving faith is. A lot of people stop with trust. They say all saving faith is, is it's just putting my trust in God. It's putting your trust in God and then it's doing what he says. It's obeying his word. Get that in your mind because it's an important Bible principle. James 2 verse 26 teaches that just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. How did they get out, those Israelites? There they were in Egypt and they were in bondage. But when they went through the Red Sea, they found their freedom. When you are baptized, you go from a place of bondage to a place of freedom. Galatians chapter five, verse one. It is for freedom, Paul writes, that God has set us free, that Christ has set us free. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And again, from death to life, John chapter five, verse 24. Those Israelites had no hope, they had no future, and yet because they obeyed the word of the Lord and because they walked through on dry land, by God's power, by God's grace, they found salvation. You wanna know how you get out of bondage? You wanna know how you're delivered? It's by putting your trust in what Jesus did for you at the cross and by obeying and submitting to his will, by doing what he commands. And then third, as you look at this particular passage in Exodus chapter 14, how do we get out? Why are we able to get out? We're able to get out for the following reasons. In the first place, as you look at what the Israelites did, God took initiative. God looked at those Israelites and God saw their helpless plight and God had a plan to save them. And the same thing is true with you and me. We're not saved because we're good people. We're not saved because we know better than anybody else. We're saved because God took initiative. God sent a savior. He sent someone to redeem us. 
And we need to put the emphasis on what God has done in our salvation. Yes, we have a role to play. Yes, we have a part. We must accept what God has done for us. But the fact that God sent a savior, that's important. That's the emphasis. Secondly, as you look at this, God gave them a mediator. He gave them Moses. It wasn't until Moses, the man that God had chosen, went to those Israelites in Egypt that the Israelites began to follow and began to obey. God's given you and me an even better mediator, Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. God guided them every step of the way. The Bible here in Exodus 14 refers to the pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. Everywhere the Israelites went, they could look and they could see that presence of God among them. Every step of their way, God guided them. God guides us today by his holy word, by the scriptures. And everywhere you go and whatever situation you find yourself, you can look to the holy word of God. You can look to the scriptures and you can see the presence of God. Where does he want me to go? Where is he guiding me? His word teaches us. God continued to graciously provide for them. Those Israelites were out in the wilderness for 40 years. And for 40 years, nearly every day, except for the Sabbath, the Israelites experienced a miracle. In Exodus 16, the Bible says God began to provide what was called manna for them. He sustained them in the wilderness. He provided for them every step of the way. They couldn't just collect 40 years worth and then carry it around with them. What they did was every day they woke up and they collected the manna that was there on the ground. And then the next day, they, they woke up and they collected again. And it was a day-by-day dependence on God. It's a picture of the Christian life God provides for us on a day-by-day basis. All of this can be summed up in what Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. What's being said there is God makes a way for you and me to be saved. God has provided a plan. He has provided a mediator. He has provided guidance and he's provided his provision, his grace every step of the way. And what God does for us is he says, follow me, come to me, accept the gift that I've offered you. That's what happens when we're saved. We are delivered from bondage by the power of Almighty God, by standing still and trusting in what he has done for us at the cross. And we find salvation when we faithfully follow and obey his will. It's interesting to think about how the parallels between the Red Sea and Christianity are all over the scripture. The question that would be asked to you tonight is just this. Have you put your trust in the grace that God has provided? Jesus came and died for you. He paid the price for you so that you can be right with Almighty God. Have you put your hope and your trust in him by accepting the gift that he offered at the cross? Through repentance, confession of Jesus' name, and baptism, you can have that gift tonight. If you're ready to respond and ask for, and and put on Christ and obey the gospel, if you're ready to respond and ask for prayers, Won't you come, whatever your need is, while together we stand and while we sing.